0: Thanks for tuning into the Central Church podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message, and we're so glad you could join us today. Well, welcome everybody. I want to welcome each of our locations. Great to have you guys here with us today. A big shout out to Central Summerlin, to Sunrise Mountain, to Southern Highlands, to our Central Kingman family. We're grateful for you guys down in Kingman and to those joining us in our partnership with God Behind Bars and different prison facilities. Thank you for being with us today. We love you guys. Well, the 90s means something different for everybody, right? How many of you were not yet even like a twinkle in your parents' eyes in the 90s? You weren't even a thought. You weren't even around. Okay, very good. So for you, you refer, like my daughter, she refers to the 90s as the 1900s. She does. She's like, oh, look at that movie, it's a 90s movie. It's it's like the 1900s, you know, back then the horse and buggy era. How many of you were, um, you know, Born in the '90s, just '90s babies, born in the '90s. All right, look at you. So, so for you, the '90s was like Rugrats. Uh, you know, the the Magic School Bus, Barney. Right? Uh, how many of you were in middle school and high school in the '90s? All right. So for you, the '90s. Man, when you say like back in the day. For you, that's what you're talking about, right? Back in the day was the 90s with your Doc Martens and your flannel shirts. You know, like, you're working that, that decade. How many of you were in um, your 20s in the 90s, in your 20s? Okay, so you guys, that you were adulting hard in, uh, in, in the 90s because, you know, that's, you had to get a real job, right, and work, and, you know, maybe many of you start a family career Uh, how many of you were 30 or older in, in the nineties, 30 or older? Yeah. So you also, the nineties were about Rugrats and the magic school bus, right? Like, uh, you know, all these old shows, some of you, uh, you may remember a lot about the nineties for some of you, the nineties may be sort of foggy. You're like, it's just sort of happened and we got through it. When I think about the nineties, the first thing that came to my mind is Y2K. Because it like took up the last three or four years of the 90s. Everybody freaking out that the world would end. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Anyway, there's <laughs> a lot that went on in the 90s. So I thought I'd start with just a little, uh, a little game here. This is called uh, You Rock the 90s. So first of all, if you had a couple of these albums, You Rocked the 90s, first of all, they would have been CDs, right? You got Nirvana, Nevermind here, right? The Nirvana CD. Uh, maybe you were in a little bit of a different stream musically. I got Snoop Doggy Dog right here. I don't know. I don't know. A little advisory sticker on that. I'm not sure you should be cheering for that. That's the stuff you listen to in the nineties, but it's not cool when it comes on and your kids are in the backseat of the car. "Oh, Oh, wait, turn that down. I don't remember that. Um, another thing like You rock the nineties. If you remember this right here, this is America online 4.0. And back in the day, you'd have to take one of these little discs and stick it in your computer so that you could get online. And you know, then you'd go to AOL.com and, and you'd, you'd hear this little refrain, you know, you got mail, right? And you, you had email. It was a it's an awesome, awesome thing. Another way you know you rocked the '90s, especially the early '90s, is if you used one of these guys right here, the brick phone. You were also rich if you used a brick phone because these cost like a buck a minute to talk on, right? But. And I think by the mid 90s, late 90s, smaller phones started coming out, but I think the brick was still predominant in the early 90s. There's a lot of great TV, a lot of great entertainment in the 90s, but certainly one of the greatest shows was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. How many of you remember that show, like that show? So The Fresh Prince, um, you know, it was really a show about a kid who grew up on the streets of Philadelphia, who went to live with his rich aunt and uncle in Bel-Air and all the dynamics involved with that. It gave us a lot. It gave us the Carlton dance. Uh, It gave us Will Smith. Hello, somebody. That was where he got started doing his thing. So Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I wanna talk to you today, and really throughout this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna celebrate and have some fun around the different uh, dynamics of the '90s. We're going to not only look at some timeless things from the '90s, but we're going to talk about some timeless stories from the Bible, and kind of go back and look at some classic stories that really I think give truth to every decade wherever you're at in your life. We're going to look at Samson and Delilah next weekend. I can't wait. We're going to talk about Ruth and uh, Naomi, powerful story in the Old Testament. Today I want to talk to you about not the fresh prince of Bel Air, but the fresh prince of Egypt, and that's a guy named Moses. And I want to journey through his life. Because Moses is a great example when you're facing uncertainty in your life of really how to face it. Again and again, Moses and his family and parents faced uncertainty and they did it with great faith. I don't know if you're facing uncertainty right now in your life or not, but I imagine many of us are. You know, uncertainty may be related to where your work's going. Certainly there's uncertainty related to where our country's going. Certainly when we see things happen in the news globally, like the horrible, tragic mass shooting in New Zealand, in the mosque there, and you, you know, you read about these things. I mean, it causes, there's uncertainty that sort of rises up in all of our hearts. Where are things going? Where are things headed? What will be next? And certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to those families affected by that horrible, horrible, it just unthinkable tragedy and I think all of that heightens the sense of uncertainty in our lives maybe you're here today maybe you know you're you're dating somebody but you're just uncertain about where it's going in the future you know what's gonna happen next maybe uh, You're looking at your kids and how they're doing in school and (laughs) you've got some uncertainty that never goes away, uh, related to their future and, and how they're going to do. Maybe you've applied to colleges and you're waiting to hear back, but you haven't bribed somebody with a half million dollars. So you don't know what that's going to look like, right? Like just saying, like, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns in our lives. But Moses is gonna give us some insight into how to face some of these unknowns and uncertain things with faith. And here's what I wanna suggest to you today. It's very simple. That when you're faithful in the moment, God is faithful in the future. When you're faithful in the moment, God is faithful in the future. God will be faithful with your future. God will help produce the results of your faithfulness to him. So let's pick it up in Moses uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. It sort of gives us an overview of the story of Moses. And when we get to the highlighted word, I'm just gonna ask you to read that out loud uh, here together with me, but we'll bring this up on the screens and uh, we'll read it together. Hebrews 11:23. 23. It says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not what? Afraid to disobey the king's command. So this is is a fascinating story of a guy, Moses, who went from the bottom all the way to the top. And it begins with his parents. Moses' parents showed tremendous Faith. Now, let me just set it up. Basically, they lived in Egypt at the time. The Hebrew people were slaves at the time. And the Pharaoh, the king, the ruler of the land, was getting really concerned because the Hebrews were having way too many babies, too many kids coming along. And he was afraid they were going to grow their population base so big that eventually the slaves would just revolt and they would overthrow the masters. And then it would be, you know, chaos. And so the Pharaoh issues an edict that all the boys, Born to Hebrew women must be killed, thrown in the Nile. Now, I mean, you think our politicians are bad. (laughs) It's brutal time, right? Brutal time to be alive. And what we read in Hebrews is that Moses' parents refused to be afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, they took steps in the midst of great uncertainty And God showed he's faithful in the midst of that. One of the first things that we see that Moses' parents did is they let go of the need to control. (laughs) If you, when you're facing uncertainty, a great principle to remember is sometimes you got to let go of your need to control. Uh, there are things that we can influence and we should control what we can control. But the problem is many of us are worried and thinking about things that we can't control anymore in our lives, right? It's outside of our hands and we've got to learn how to let that go to God. Remember when I came in, my son was uh, working on his computer while back and he was a little younger. And I said, Hey, Ethan, you know, you need to get off your computer. It's time to brush your teeth. You need to get ready, go to bed. It's bedtime. You know, let's get it all together. Let's pull it together. And he had a little bit of an attitude in his voice. And he looked up at me and he goes, uh, you're not the boss of me. It was on, man. I mean, I remember like I stopped and I said, what did you just say to me? He goes, you're not the boss of me. And then it was like, oh, let me, listen, let me just give you a breakdown of theology. There's God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And then there's your dad. And that's the hierarchy right there in your life. And as long as you're living under my roof, eating my food, sleeping on my bed, you know, as long as I'm providing everything for you, I'm the boss of you. And I'll never forget. He looked at me and he goes, you're not the boss of me. Mom's the boss of me and she's the boss of you too. <laughs> I'm like, well, I was speaking that we were one. <laughs> yes. Well played. Um, we all like to be the boss. Don't we We like to be in control? We like to have our hand on the wheel. We like to know we can, we can dictate the outcome in our lives. But none of us have to live very long until that illusion of control begins to be broken. I mean, all you have to do is go through a health crisis, right? You go through, uh, you know, an accident, something that comes out of nowhere into your life. You didn't see it coming and you get hit and you realize that while there are a lot of things we can control in many ways, if we really think we're hundred percent in control of our destiny and where we're going, we're living under an illusion. There's a lot we can't control. There's a lot we can't control. And the key for us, I believe, in our lives is to pause and regularly ask God for the wisdom to know the difference between what we can control and what we can't control. Right? If we can control it, we want to control it. If we can influence it, we want to influence it. But there's a lot of things we can't control and we want to surrender that. Now, here's what Moses' parents did. Moses' parents, they had this edict. All the Hebrew slaves were having, you know, if the girl was born, she could live. If a boy was born, he had to die. And they, I'm sure we're in a situation where they were like, we didn't choose to be in this situation. We don't wanna be in this situation. They didn't wanna be slaves. This wasn't their plan. They didn't wanna have a boy in the sense that having a boy at that time and place would be a certain death sentence over his life, like none of these things were part of their plan and they found himself in a situation filled with uncertainty about the future. So what did they do? So Moses' parents prayed and they hid their child for three months. Um, they hid him until they couldn't hide him anymore. And then they did the only thing they knew to do. They, they made a basket and, uh, they waterproofed the basket and they sent this basket down the Nile river with baby Moses inside of it. Can you imagine that kind of parental anxiety, heartbreak, despair, if you were to put your baby in the water? and send them down the river. Now they didn't kill him. They pushed it as far as they could push it, but they were at a place where they could only do what they could do and they needed God to do what only God could do. And so they committed their child to God. They surrendered the outcome to God. They faced that uncertainty by letting go of their need to control every dynamic and they sent him down the Nile. Now, here's what happened. Moses starts floating down the Nile River. Now, his sister Miriam, who's a little older, is following along just, you know, this whole journey so she sees where he goes. And as she's following him along, Moses miraculously he floats down the Nile, floats down the Nile. And finally he floats into a place where the Pharaoh's daughter is bathing and they see something floating in the water. And she says to a slave there, Hey, well, go, go, go get that basket over there floating in the water. They bring the basket over, they open it up. And here's this little baby boy. And her heart is like totally moved towards this child. And she's kind of, you know, blown away. And she's thinking, I- I'm going to keep this child. And it just happens to be that Miriam's been watching all of this happen and she's sort of standing over there on the shore and she says, hey, um, would you like for me, I, I happen to know a Hebrew woman who could nurse the child for you if you wanted somebody to nurse the child for you. And she said, yeah, I would love that. And so I want you to think about this. Miriam goes back to her parents, Amram and Jochebed, and says, hey, mom, dad, So Moses was floating down the river and he floated to where the Pharaoh's daughter was bathing and she happened to see him and happened to send a slave over to get him and they happened to open up the basket and happened to be really moved when they held up this baby. And so I happened to be standing there and so I happened to say that I happen to know somebody that might happen to be able to breastfeed this child right now and take care of it and they happened to say that they're interested and so mom, Pharaoh's daughter would like to hire you to nanny your son. Now you think about that, right? Come on parents, you know how much money you're gonna spend on your kids while they're growing up? How would you, wouldn't it be nice to be paid to take care of, you know, like I'm gonna pay you to raise your child, be awesome. And it's an amazing story, but it goes back to a couple that are slaves that have no influence, no control, no power, who are faithful in the moment and find that God is faithful in the future. They're faithful in the moment, and they find that God is faithful in the future. They didn't try to control everything. They did what they could, and they surrendered it to God. So for you in your life, I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you might need um, to kind of put in the basket. I'm not sure what's, what's keeping you up at night, what's filling you with anxiety, what's not allowing you uh, to sleep well. Uh, you know what, what is it that, that you are hanging on to? Friends, I want to challenge you to think about that right now and take whatever it is and put it in a basket, do whatever you can do, and then release it and let it go and give it to God. Because a lot of us are worried about things that we have no control over. A lot of us are worried about things we have no impact over in our lives. We've got to release that stuff and let it go. You're like, yeah, but but they deserve to pay. <laughs> well, maybe they do, but you gotta release that bitterness and you gotta let it go. I remember meeting with my father after uh, several years caught up in addiction, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and really began the spiritual journey. And, and I asked him later, like, how did you get through those years? And my father was a tough guy. He was a master sergeant in the army, World War II vet, uh, Korean War vet. Like, you know, he'd been around a lot. Um, but my years of addiction just about put him in the grave. And for the first time in his life, he actually went to a counselor. And I'm telling you, man, that generation did not go to the counselor, you know? So I said, like, how did you, how'd you get through that? Like, what, you know, what, what would be the number one thing you would say to a family who's going through something like that in their lives? And he said, the most important thing I did was I came to realize as you become of age that I had done everything I know how to do and I prayed a million prayers for you, and you knew I loved you, you knew we were here for you. I did what I could do, but I also had to protect what was remaining in my family. I had to protect your sisters and your brother. I had to protect my marriage. I had to keep myself from completely going over the edge. And he said, basically, I had to let you go. And I had to surrender you to God. And this is my dad telling me this. You know, I get emotional, think about it, he goes, I basically had to say, whether you live or die or whether you come home or not, it's God's problem now. That's hard to hear. But I think for some of you parents, you may be in that place right now in your life where you've done all that you can do and you've prayed and you still love them and you're there for them. Don't get me wrong, but, but you got to put them in that basket and you got to release them and you got to say, God, I, I surrender them to you. Bring them back to themselves and bring them back to me. But I can't carry it anymore. Some of you with work right now, (laughs) all the stress you've been carrying about work and the future and what's coming and what's happening, you gotta put that in the basket and you gotta let it go and surrender it to God. Look, just worry about being faithful in the moment. God will be faithful in the future. You just worry about doing what God calls you to do today, right now, and let God take care of the grand plan in the grand scheme of things. So when you're facing uncertainty, first principle, let go of your need for control. Second principle is this, to move on from disappointment. I mean, we all face disappointment in our lives. Lori and I were laughing uh, today. We were just talking about how, um, we, we remember in this trip to Miami, we flew into Miami and, um, it was about 11 PM at night. We're tired and we're hungry. You ever get out, get to an airport, you're starving and you're like, we just gotta, we gotta get out of this airport. And we, I mean, we're, you're hungry enough that you're like, we gotta get out of this airport and get to a McDonald's. That's some desperation going on right there. You know what I'm saying? Like just anywhere there's food, right? That's kind of where we're at. And so, you know, we get, we, first of all, we had to, we had to run out basically a half marathon, you know, we had to ride all these trains and do all this stuff to get to the rental car place. It was unbelievable. Miami International Airport, next level, right? You know, it just was crazy. And we didn't know what we were doing. And so we get a rental car and we got it. And then we're following directions that Siri is getting us and, Siri basically leads us to go all the way around the airport and then come back into the airport. And then we get into this exit and then we're in this line and then we go through this gate and we're like back in like we parked at the airport. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to pay to drive through this stupid, you know, area, parking area. Okay, you know, so we drive around and no lie, Miami International Airport, 11 o'clock PM, there are probably 150 to 200 cars stacked 30 cars back all along these. I mean, there were just so many cars and so many lanes and we're like to get out. So we try to find the fastest one like you do in the grocery store aisle, you know, when you come up and, and you're like, you know, like who do you think's moving faster, you know? And then if you're like me, you sort of figure out where people are, you figure out where you are and then it's kind of a race. You're keeping tabs, you know, just to say if I, see if I beat you or not. No, that's just me. I'm just the only sick person that that uh, is always trying to get it done faster. You know, like anyway. I'm, so I, I get in the line, and and I'm like, I'm like, we got a good one, Lori. We're in the we're in the fast line. Watch this, you know. And so we're cruising along, and we're probably in this line for 30 minutes, and then eventually we're three cars away from going through the deal to being free to getting to McDonald's, and the the pay card on the machine breaks. And this is, I'm just going to say it this way. This is Miami. I don't know, man. Like there was somebody in the booth and after a while they just walked away. Like nobody came back. It was sort of like, yeah, you guys are on your own, man. I'm smoke break. I don't know. Like so they just leave and we're just sitting there. And it got so bad, Lori gets out of the car. She goes up to the person that's at the deal that keeps sticking their card in. And I'm like, we'll pay for them. I don't care. You know, like, So we get our card out, we're sticking it in, we're doing it, it won't work. And we sit there, we keep thinking somebody's gonna come. Somebody's gonna fix it, right? You know, isn't this, who runs this? Is the government runs this? Who, who runs the airport? Like this, the parking situation. Somebody's gonna come along and make this right. And eventually this guy from two stalls over, walks over, and we got our window rolled down. He goes, you guys are gonna have to back up just getting another line. Well, there's like 50 cars behind us. There's literally cars on the left, cars on the right, cars everywhere. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So Lori gets out of the car, goes down. Every, she's knocking on every window. They're rolling. the car. we're going to have to back up. I'm going to need you to back up. She goes, so she's telling everybody what to do, how to back up, how to do. Everybody starts backing up, you know, backing up, backing up. They finally back up enough because we're like hemmed in by these barriers that I'm then able to back up. Except the guy behind me thinks I'm not going to back up very far because I want to cut this guy off over here and get in his lane. So I'll just block this guy in. I almost completely lost my stuff in that moment. I missed the guy by an inch. I was just going to hit him. I was done, not physically, but with my car. I'm like, I'm coming right now, move or get hit. You know, like that's where we were almost two hours at the Miami International Airport, we were just laughing about this. All we wanted to do was get something to eat. And when we finally get to the first McDonald's, it's closed. (laughs) That is a picture of life, right? Life is filled with disappointments, big ones, little ones, frustrations. Lori says to me just today, she's like, you know what's driving me crazy? I said, what? She goes, you're not, you don't listen. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I say things to you and you don't listen to me. Come on ladies, you know what, can you feel her? I said, give, I'm like, give me an example. She's like, well, we rented Aquaman and watched that with the family and we're sitting there and we're all talking about, oh, it's Nicole Kidman in Aquaman. Look at Nicole Kidman. Check out Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman doesn't age. Nicole Kidman looks amazing. And then I look up and I'm like, wow, is that Nicole Kidman in this movie? Like, They're like, where are you, man? It's praying. No, i kidding. We all face disappointments and Moses was about to face a lot of disappointment. Now he grew up in a pretty esteemed environment in the, the sort of palace of the Pharaoh. He would have had the best education, the best food. He would have been like the star of the bachelor. If there was a bachelor back then, you know, like all the ladies would have been like, Whoa, what up? Mo (laughs) they got their eye on him. You know, he's a prince, all this. The assumption is he's probably raised in many ways by his mom who would have taught him some of the Hebrew language, probably taught him about his God, the Hebrew God. But but he was raised in a very different environment. And then eventually he goes out and he sees a guy who's beating down um, a Hebrew slave. He goes and visits his people. He's 40 years old. And when he does, he realizes what a horrible situation the people are actually in the Pharaoh and the leadership were basically trying to run the Israelites into the ground. They wanted to work them so hard that they wouldn't even think to have babies and to just be totally exhausted, which I'm like, don't they know that babies could do that as well? But anyway, that's something else. So he sees this slave master beating the slave and he gets angry and frustrated and he comes back, kind of makes sure nobody's looking. And he ends up beating this guy to death. He kills him and buries him in the ground. The next day, he goes back to see his people. A couple of them are fighting, one amongst the other. And he jumps in and tries to break the fight up. You know, he's trying to do a good thing, right? And in the midst of that moment, they look at him and they said, who made you the judge and the arbiter between us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian and he thought it was a secret, right? He didn't think anybody knew. It's like, oh, so Moses finds himself in a tough situation and eventually he has to flee. Uh, he leaves for 40 years, that whole world behind and he flees to the wilderness. And I can imagine in the wilderness, there was disappointment, there was frustration, right? There was a lot of things that he thought his life would be and it didn't become any of those things. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. 27, it says this, Hebrews 11, Twenty-seven it says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his what? Eyes on the one who is invisible. So when it was time to go, Moses left. But notice, where did he keep his eyes? He kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. Listen, this would have felt like a dead end for Moses. It would have felt like his life was over. He would have thought things were finished. But rather than it being a dead end, it became a detour to his destiny. Moses wasn't ready at 40 for what God ultimately needed him to do. He actually needed 40 more years till he was 80. Come on, somebody. Some of you are 80 right now, and you're like, no, I'm done. No, you may just be getting started. Right? Moses still had his greatest victories ahead of him at 80. But he needed to learn some things. And along the way, he meets a man who would become his father-in-law, Jethro. But he's introduced in the Bible the first time with the name Ruel, which means friend of God. And in the wilderness, God sent him a friend. That man was also a priest who probably taught him about God and the ways of God and they lived in tents and they roamed and in the wilderness. And why did Moses need to do that? Because Moses was gonna be the guy that led over a million Israelites out of slavery into the wilderness and they were gonna wander in the wilderness and he was responsible to help keep them alive. And the only way you get that kind of knowledge is by living in the wilderness yourself. So for 40 years, Moses got (laughs) re-educated And God trained him and he had to move on from a lot of disappointments to get to a place where God would use him in a powerful way. I don't know what kind of dead ends you're in in your life today. I don't know where you may feel like you've come up against a wall. God, maybe you may feel like God's done with you. You may feel like there's no future, there's no hope for you, but I want you to know today with great certainty in your heart that that dead end is just a detour on the way to your destiny, that God can use it in a powerful way. Listen, some of you, you got to release some of that hurt so that you can receive hope again in your life and believe again that God can use you. But he used Moses and he used Moses' parents and your life isn't finished. I know in my own life, I was thinking back to the nineties. In the nineties, I was in college and I, um, in the midst of college, started to serve a church as a, a senior pastor. I was the only pastor. <laughs> um, so I would drive out to the church on uh, usually Thursday night. Is about a couple hours from where I went to school. And we converted a room in the church with a bed. And there was a shower in the church building. And I lived in the church Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Taught, did weekend services, all that. And then... You know, on Monday I went back to college and and did school. And this was one of my very first ministry experiences and I had plans, right? I thought God was going to do great things. This was going to be awesome. I was so excited and I didn't realize I walked into this church that had 30 years worth of backbiting and bitterness between a couple of different families. And I walked right into an absolute just mess people fighting and going after one another, not physically, but verbally, people getting their feelings hurt, all these things going on. And eventually all these families left this church. My first ministry experience, all these people left. So I took this church over, it was like, I don't know, 100 people, and you know, then it was 40. And I remember sitting on the steps of that church thinking I'm done. You know, I don't have a future in ministry. This is not, this can't be my calling right? This is a dead end, you know, like this didn't even work. And this is so, so small scale. Like I'm done. I'm finished. And I was thinking about that today. It took me a couple years to bounce back from that disappointment. I actually tried to do something else other than ministry after that, but it felt like God kept closing every door I tried to go through. Like, nope, you, you needed to learn some lessons. <laughs> you needed to grow and be seasoned. You needed to be prepared but once you are ready, I will deploy you into your next assignment. That's what he did with me. That's what he'll do with you. When you're frustrated and you're disappointed and you think this is the end, it's not the end with God. It may just be the beginning, but God is gonna use your pain to transform some things in your life. You gotta release some of that hurt so you can receive the hope and believe again that God can use you in a powerful way. And he can and he will. Maybe you need to take some things in your life that you've been hanging on to, that just been burying you under the weight of them. And you just need to put them in the basket of faith today and just let them go and say, God, I surrender these to you. I give this to you. I give my marriage to you. I give my kids to you. I give my future to you. I've done everything I know to do, but I can't carry it all on my own. Maybe some of you need to take your retirement and your fear related to retirement and put it in a basket say god I'm, i've done what i can do i'm going to keep doing what i can do but i i release this to you maybe some of you it's your health god I, I put it in the basket of faith and i release it to you i don't know your plan but i know if i'm faithful today god you'll be faithful in the future and i can trust you with my life maybe you're here today and maybe you've never really crossed that line of faith If that's where you're at today, I would love to just give you an opportunity to reach out to Jesus Christ and place your faith and your trust in him in your life. So would all of you please bow your heads and close your eyes. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can begin that journey by repeating this prayer after me Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. Friends with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, would you just slip your hand in the air just to acknowledge you're going to follow God in your life today. You're going to trust him in your life today tired of doing it on your own. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the power that you show each day in our lives and for the grace and the kindness that you show us. I pray for each person here today that you'll send us into this week filled with your spirit, filled with hope, ready for the challenges that you bring our way. God, we thank you and we love you in Jesus name. Amen.